The Evolve Network is now live at evolvenetwork.tv. Subscribe for meal plans, recipes, cooking shows, and our very own The Magic Pill and The Magic Plant, as well as access to my favourite documentaries. The Evolve Network is also home to our full library of podcasts, with new release podcasts airing first and in full on the channel. You can also watch selected vodcasts in a video format. Meanwhile, enjoy this highlight of our podcast and head over to evolvenetwork.tv for the full Evolve podcast experience. The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co. established 1977 have personal and domestic water filters which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting alkaline ionized mineral water which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals and bacteria so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Shane, thank you so much for joining us. How are you, brother? I'm really, really good. I'm very well, Pete. For anybody that's listening, watching, I had the great fortune yesterday, or Nick and I, my wife and I got to spend quite a few hours with Shane and his wife, Ange. Um, Angie, Angela? Angelina. Angelina, there we go. Yes. <laughs> cool. Do we shorten that at all or is it Angelina? <laughs> she, ever since we, uh, well, she's from uh, the US originally, but ever since she got here, she shortened it. Because, you know, Aussies love to shorten everything down. So she's just been used to having Angie now. So Cool. <laughs> well, we had uh, a beautiful experience yesterday with Shane and Angie. And we were taken through some breath work that this wonderful couple share with the world and obviously we got to know each other over that over the few hours that mm -hmm. uh you came and we we experienced each other in that realm and one thing really caught my attention when we were having a conversation and you said a few words and it was about microdosing death seems mm -hmm. to be a very potent thing for human beings to experience and I've wanted to talk to you about that today because I feel like that can take us down so many different mm. paths. But really, what does it mean to microdose death at the crux or the core or the, the, the foundation of why this is such an important part yeah. for you to teach others not to be 
fearful of? Yeah, that's it, and it's a great question. And I guess we'll we'll, we'll kind of z- sort of zoom out and then zoom back in. I think with this, Pete, the, the concept of microdosing on the fear of death, or you know, microdosing on death, really was a. It, it came about through having uh, many different experiences. Uh, throughout my uh, my life and my career, I, I, I served in the military. Um, I trained uh, special special forces soldiers and divers in the military for uh, for quite a number of years. And the first experience I had of this was, uh, you know, uh, doing some training with the divers, and we were extending our breath holds out to four to five minutes. And you know, like the, if you it, when people normally think about pausing their breath or holding their breath. Um, in, in some of the training that I've had with breath work, one of the interesting things comes up is that we have this innate fear in, in, you know, in not breathing. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, you know, just think about not breathing for a second, but there's also contained this, um, it's, it's a biological aspect to it as well. That's, that's in the breath, you know, like you have this affinity to breathe, meaning that you have chemoreceptors in the brain that keep the respiration going. So breathing and respiration are two very different parts of breathing. Breathing, as we talk about it now, I would reference as being the mechanical part of breathing. You know, that's the the muscles move and your, you know, your your chest expands, the diaphragm flattens and it draws air into the lungs. That's the mechanical part. But that's innovated by a chemical uh, pathway in the body. So that's innovated by um, the body sensing the difference in the blood pH between C- CO2 and, and O2, right? So we've got these two different things. One leads the other. But the interesting thing about breathing that I find really fascinating is that you can actually take control of that aspect of your breathing. You can then take control of the mechanical part and then you can augment the chemical part, which if you think about it, it's unlike any other system in the body that you can do that. And I believe that that's an invitation for evolution. I think that that's, a, that's purely an invitation for us to, to explore that. And I, had, I first had this experience when we're doing these really long breath holds. And it, it, it didn't dawn on me at the time, but coming out of holding your breath for that long and experiencing different things, like on a psychological level, you're experiencing panic and fear right? You're experiencing it, but then you're also experiencing pain in the body because, you know, um, I think what I found really interesting learning about holding your breath or about pausing your breath is that it's not the amount of oxygen in your body that has you breathe again or the lack thereof. It's actually this little sensor that you have to CO2 that makes you kick in that next breath to breathe again. And so an example of this is the world record for breath hold as it stands right now, to my knowledge, and I've met the guy is 22 minutes, right? 22 minutes. Stig Severinsen has that, has that record for a, for a breath hold for 22 minutes. Now, we, we're told in the medical literature that you are, you have, you can cause brain damage after four minutes. And it, you know, to me, that kind of like, it kind of started me on that path of like, well, do we absolutely know everything about the body? 
you know, is, is what you read in the medical literature actually true? Because if people are having these experiences where they can hold their breath for 22 minutes and that's a Guinness world record. So it's, you know, he, he was checked out and, and, you know, he doesn't have any brain damage, you know, to, to, to anyone's knowledge, but you, you know, it dawned on me that this whole idea about you having, uh, you have to breathe because you need to get more oxygen is actually not the whole truth. It's how much can you tolerate the CO2 and the pain that comes with that, that will dictate how long you can hold your breath for. So there's this, there's this really interesting um, kind of part about the, the, the chemistry in the body and how it behaves. And so fast forward to, uh, to now, um, you know, we've been working with breathwork um, and, you know, this, this concept of microdosing on the fear of death has come about because I, uh, I started studying the, the link between breathing and respiration and behavior. And there's this massive link between how you behave, how you express behaviors. And even, uh, you know, this is not founded yet, but I think it will go there. I think that if you can, if you can have an influence on your behaviors, you're going to have an influence on your beliefs. So, you know, there's this linkage that goes through breathing and body chemistry that has like these wide ranging things. It goes way beyond, you know, the, the standard things people think about breathing, right? They think about it just happens. They think about survival. Some people know they breathe heavy during exercise or, you know, other people that do breath work understand the performance part of it. They understand the survival part of breathing, but I don't think this behavioral part of breathing gets looked at a lot. And if we think about that for a second, that's why this, this whole thing about pausing your breath for an extended time, it allows you to explore this little space in between the inhale and the exhale. And there's, you know, not only is it a meditative space, but you start to recognize when you have fear come up, you start to recognize what is panic and, and sitting in these spaces allows you to have a little bit of analytic time with that. It allows you to go, it allows you to ask yourself, am I really, is this, is this a mental blockage or is it a physical blockage that I have? And those two things give you a different choice point when it comes to, you know, dealing with things like trauma, um, you know, uh, Fear in the sense, when I talk about fear, fear in the sense of rational fear, like fear, if there's danger involved in fear, then obviously fear is real. But what about fear when there's no danger present? You know, fear of, you know, name a, name a phobia that, that some people have where there's no actual danger. And this can be expressed in your breathing. So you can often find that, that the physical component of someone's fear is a it's a it's an actual gas exchange part of part of the equation now think about that for a minute if we can extinguish that part for somebody and we talk about this in relation to say um, people that suffer high anxiety for example we'll often say to them if you could remove the physical part of anxiety i.e you could control the gases in your body what's left you know, and that gives people an opportunity to go, well, maybe there's not something wrong with me. Maybe there's not something wrong in my head. Perhaps this is a physical thing first, and then I can go and deal with the headspace stuff afterwards. So, you know, that's not to say if people haven't uh, dealt with trauma or they, have, they haven't had physical trauma or, 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 you know, abuse or things like that. It's very real. 
But there's this, there's this manageable physical part of that that I think is super important. And kind of that's where, that's where it kind of led me to start looking at, okay, if people can go through this process of pausing their breath, sitting in the panic and fear, then sitting and waiting for the physical component of that coming up and leaning on it and getting used to that discomfort, it just, it creates these shifts. I've had, I've had uh, so many different clients that have, um, you know, they've overcome uh, like physical, like uh, they've overcome uh, pain, like pain that they've had consistently in their body for years and years and years. And I suspected um, that, that, you know, there was a bit of back and forward when we first started because I was saying, is your pain physical or is it psychic? Like, is, it, is, there, a, is, there, a, is there a part of your pain that, that you maybe imagine? And I, I mean, you know, you have to be very, you have to be very uh, careful in, in the way that you deal with that and have good rapport with people. But, but a lot of the time they would, in these processes of pausing the breath, sitting in that, sitting in that, because think about that for a process at, for the moment. If, if all you're doing is pausing your breath after an, after an exhale and you're sitting, you always have the option to take the next breath. It's not like you can't. Right. So I think it's a very powerful uh, thing because you're in control of it. And they have these realizations that maybe some of, if not all of that pain, maybe something that's imagined in the body, that they're breathing in a certain way that uh, blocks areas in the brain. Um, say, for example, the hippocampus. They've done a lot of, um, in my training, uh, I've, I've, uh, just the latest uh, training I've been doing in breathing has been on uh, in breathing behavioral sciences. And it looks at the effect of uh, blood pH. And they've, they've, got, they've shown in these studies that, that people will breathe in a certain pattern so that they, so it stops them from accessing painful memories, right? So think about that for a moment. It's a, it's a, it's an inbuilt defense mechanism. So if you're unaware that you have one of these dysfunctional breathing patterns and that you're keeping yourself out of traumatic memories or you're, or, you know, whether it's inherited or imagined or it actually happened, all of the above, that you have this ability to then go in and reprogram this starting with your breathing. I mean, that's, it's, it's amazing to think that, and, and I mean, the reason I'm so passionate about it and the reason that we throw, uh, you know, that Angie and I have built our business around this and thrown ourselves into this is because we've seen so many people now that we've uncovered their dysfunctional pattern. We've, we've given them the tools to then reprogram their breathing and, and they've had, you know, we've had people that have said they've not been able to let go of different types of memories or trauma, or they've, you know, even to the point where they've, they've had a vision of reconciling with a dead parent or, you know, all these things that are, you know, they're beyond you being able to, um, I use the term loosely, but scientifically prove, right? Like you, like these are things that are personal to that person. But they'll come out of these sessions and they'll go, you know what, I've been to therapy, um, you know, I've, I've been on pharmaceutical drugs, I've done all these things, but I've never, ever, ever had an experience of where I've augmented my own breath or just changed their own breathing pattern and were able to achieve a healing state just from doing that. 
on their own. And I think there's something to be said about you self-initiating and self-maintaining a healing um, that happens, you know, for yourself. And that's, that's why I'm so passionate about this work. And that kind of bore this concept of looking at, okay, well, if you can microdose on fear of death and, you know, I've had many people say to me, oh, that's a, it's a bit of a morbid kind of thing. But I think I also believe that it's a, it's, it's a interesting enough to grab people. I mean, like when I mentioned it to you yesterday, you, you were like, you did a double take and you're like, tell me what, what was that? Tell me more about that. Because we were in the, you know, you, you were explaining to me your, your um, experience and without me even saying it to you, you're already talking about, oh, wow. You know, like I, you, you know, if, yeah, and I'll let, I'll let you speak for your experience, but I know what I heard was you felt yourself go into that in-between state where you're not awake, you're not asleep, but you're just in this in-between state. And there's something profound about being so relaxed and yet so awake at the same time. And, it, and it's a paradox, right? And I think that most of these, um, you know, call them healing states, call them spiritual um, uh, experiences. You know, if you look, if you look in history uh, and you look at what people term as a spiritual experience, you, you can hear in between there that it's this state of being like somewhere else, but here at the same time, awake, uh, awake, but asleep, you know, like in between like this, you know, they, they term it the hypnagogic state, which is this in between state. These are the states that geniuses throughout history of, um, you know, they've tried to get into these states to extract, um, you know, their, their thoughts or their processes, uh, I'm, I don't know who it was. I'm, I'm probably going to make a mess of it, but it was either Newton or Einstein or one of them. I remember reading about it where they would hold a bowl in their hand and they would try and like, you know, th- get themselves in this in-between state. And when the ball dropped out of their hands, it meant that they achieved that state. So people are, you know, people throughout history have been trying to achieve these states for a very long time. And guess what? You can do that with your own breathing. You know, you can have that experience yourself. What I love about this is that there's so many similarities in what you just said in the food realm as well. When I was hearing you talk, because over the years we've promoted food as one of the tools mm-hmm. for long-term sustainable health or regeneration, if we have come at, if we've put ourselves out of balance or out of alignment through the foods that we eat. And one of the common things that I heard over the years when we were promoting paleo, which I still do, just not as actively anymore because I feel like I've already walked that path mm-hmm. and the information's out there. And I feel like now over the last sort of, for my life, it's it's about exploring other tools for long-term sustainable or regenerative health, which is why breathwork is, is mm-hmm. so profound because number one, it's free. <laughs> number one, once you learn it, you are empowered to do it for yourself if you choose to do it. So you have free will, which I think is the most beautiful part of this Mm -hmm. is free and free will and safe. And we'll talk about that in a, in a, Mm. because, because we can know recently there was a fellow uh, champion snowboarder that, that died um, on the Gold Coast, actually, he was free diving, I believe, or, or, or whatever he was doing. So I just want to, like everything, we can use these as as 
powerful tools to heal, but at the same time, we need to understand that that they can also be a tool for, uh, I don't want to say abuse because, I mean, people can abuse food, for instance, and which creates disease. People can abuse psychedelics or plant medicines, which can cause all sorts of problems, but we can still respect and understand these different tools that we have. But going back into why I think there's so many similarities between breathwork and food is because over the years, so many people would say, I suffered anxiety for the last 10 years mm -hmm. or 20 years or depression and just changing my diet and starting to intermittent fast and take out the inflammatory foods, I no longer suffer from depression or anxiety. Mm. And I always thought they always say, I thought it was emotional. I thought it was trauma, but interestingly enough, for some people, for some people, the chemical imbalance or whatever goes on in our gut to our brain mm -hmm by ingesting the wrong foods, which cause inflammation in our guts, which cause inflammation in our brains can cause these chemical processes in us, you know, and I'm no scientist, so apologies if, I'm, if, if my wording isn't right, but let's just say what we eat can have a profound effect on how we feel. And when you were talking about holding your breath, the other fascinating thing that I've studied over the years was fasting <laughs> because fasting if you've never done it, I remember, and sorry to take over this for a minute, but I think it's very important what we're going through here. I remember years ago, the mainstream media made fun of me because I'd say I eat once, once a day, sometimes twice a day or one and a half times a day and sometimes no times in a day. And I realized, and, and just this, over the last six months, there was an article in the paper from about coronavirus telling trying to scare people that some people now can only eat twice a day because of lockdowns or this or that or and i was like fuck there's so much fear around mm. how much food we should be eating per day <laughs> and they and it's ridiculed when somebody can will fast for over a day or skip breakfast for instance and and the dietitians say well breakfast is the most important meal of the day and you know you've got to have it and i'm sitting here now at 1 p.m and i haven't eaten a thing today mm. i just put on some osso for dinner and that'll be ready at four o'clock yeah. that'll be that'll be our one meal for the day and i'm not saying that i only have one meal a day sometimes i have two sometimes i have three but i listen yep. to my body so for anybody listening and watching the idea about being uncomfortable to start with like intermittent fasting or prolonged fasting is that microdosing of the fear of death nearly it's reprogramming us so i just wanted to add that because when we discussed this yesterday you talked about the other things that are about the fear of microdosing of or microdosing the fear of death in other realities and other modalities so yes. if you want to take us through that then we'll yeah, get back yeah. into the oh, breath this, work i definitely and and just please remind me to come back to the um the the free diving and respecting anything um as well because i think what's important uh you know one of the ancient uh, scribings on the on the Temple of Delphi uh, was "Know Thyself," and I think a lot of people have heard of that. It's on the Temple of Apollo, but what people also don't understand is just underneath it is another is another inscription that says, uh, "Everything in moderation." Everything in moderation. So you know, to to your point, 
about, um, you know, to your point about being able to injure yourself with any of these practices, it's true. Like even though breathing can do all these wonderful things, it, it is, it's absolutely true that you can, you know, you, you can get yourself into some trouble, especially when you add water <laughs> into the mix, as you mentioned with freedom. So I want to make sure we come back to that, but, um, uh, to 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 the point that you were just saying um, uh, about the other modalities, you know, we I've I've done a lot of work, and I again I got introduced through my military training to cold water immersion because training divers one of the one of the aspects of um, of training for combat, and this was a really interesting interesting. Um, uh, th- this is a this is looking back, so this is in hindsight. Training an elite athlete, because I, I um, my military career, a lot of it was spent as a fitness instructor for the for the special forces team. So, training an elite athlete is one thing, but training somebody for combat is a completely different. Uh, there's a completely different layer that comes over the top. So you're training for food, you're training for sleep deprivation, you're training for hunger, you're training for all these things that there's no training for. You can't train to be cold wet and go without food for a very long time. It's, it's a will thing. Like you, you, you either just experience it and, and you deal with it and you deal with the way it changes you and, and how you are to behave in that, in that moment. And this is an important aspect. I mean, as most of the, the listeners would imagine, if you want a combat soldier in the field, you don't want them to be worrying about whether they got fed you know, you know, an hour before or whether they got enough sleep the night before. It's just, it's not a luxury that you have. So there's a, there's an extra layer that comes on top. And so being in cold water for long periods of time was, was another aspect to the training. So, um, you know, fast forward into the future and we have, um, you know, cold immersions uh, are now becoming really, really well known, you know, like there's, you can find people doing ice bars or cold immersions in lots of different recovery realms and cryotherapy as well. Yeah, exactly. Cryotherapy, exactly. You know, and, and so that also folds into this, um, you know, heat and sauna are in that, in that arena as well. This folds into this, um, dealing with our addiction to comfort, right? And, and as that, that folds back to what you were just saying about the eating part, which I 100% agree with you, by the way. I, I think it's, it's so important that as we are today, and you know, I guess I had the, the, the good fortune to go through this rite of passage of going through the military in my young years and, and having this kind of training. And- I really hope you enjoyed the first half of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit evolvenetwork.tv. That's evolvenetwork.tv. We'll see you there. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.